The following message is entitled, The Eternal Word, Part 4. This message was given during the morning service on September 4th, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. As you should all know here in this auditorium, as well as those who listen remotely, I alternate various sermon series throughout each month. And as we're in the first Sunday of September, we now go back to the Gospel of John. In your note sheet, you can see that the series title on Communion Sundays is Communion Credentials. This is the essence of this first Sunday of the month communion series. Credentials refers to the qualifications of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As JTA, John the Apostle, lays them out here in the Gospel of John. So in the introduction, let's write down this morning what credentials means. Qualifications. The testimony of Christ. His reputation. His character. These are what the Gospel of John is teaching us. Credentials means qualifications. The testimony of Christ. His reputation. His character. As I've told you repeatedly, testimonials from our society today mean nothing. Everybody lies. You can see the most notorious aspect of false advertising and weight loss programs. There are weight loss programs where they hire professionals who are very fit and buff. They take their pictures while they're very fit and buff. These professionals then stuff themselves for three months, gain a massive amount of weight, retake their pictures, and then invert the order. So they take them when they're fit, take them when they're fat, they were fit before they were fat, but now they reverse it in the advertising. Here's this fat person. Here's how he lost weight. Professionals that do that. There are Hollywood actors that have that ability. Matthew McConaughey did that for a movie part. He gained this massive amount of weight and he lost it. There are people with willpower like that. Testimonies are worthless. People are evil. Products want to be sold. But the testimony of Christ in the Bible is sure. The scriptures cannot be broken, as John chapter 10 tells us. The credentials of Jesus Christ are not forged, even though they mean nothing to the world today. His credentials here in John 1, as we've begun this journey over the last few months, his credentials are impeccable. He is the eternal God-man. And right at the start of this gospel, JTA, John the Apostle, gives us four dramatic statements that Christ is the eternal word of God. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
The Gospel of John, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Four statements. Number one, in the beginning was the Word. Number two, the Word was with God. Number three, and the Word was God. Number four, he was in the beginning with God. Who is the Word? Verse 14 tells us who the Word is. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John in verses 1 and 2 begins with the person of Jesus Christ before he became Jesus, the human. He was the eternal Lagos, the eternal Word. In your note sheet, then, we're looking at Communion Credentials Series Number 1, verses 1 to 18. It's the wonder of Christ's life introduced. And the stage is set for Christ's introduction to humanity as the eternal God-man. And John and the Spirit of God who wrote this gospel through the Apostle John starts off with the deity of Christ in verses 1 to 5. That's Roman numeral 1 in your note sheet. I just read verses 1 and 2, so let's continue verses 3 to 5. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's the deity of Christ. In your note sheet, we're currently in letter A. The beginning, the Word was God. The Word was God. It says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Fill in the blank underneath that. This is the eternality of the divine Word. The eternality of the divine Word. We've already seen this first statement, so I just give you a few blank lines underneath it. And on those, you can write what we learned in previous Communion Sundays, and it is that the in the beginning statement is a statement of Christ's foreverness, his eternality. It does not say in the beginning Christ came into being. It says in the beginning he already existed. He existed in the beginning. He was there in the beginning. This is like the opening words of Genesis in both Genesis and here, the statement in the beginning, this assumes a timeless eternality, a timeless eternity, where God existed when he created the heavens and the earth. He already existed. So what this is referring to, the beginning of time, you can write that under that statement under letter A in the blank lines. The beginning refers to the beginning of creation, the beginning of time. He was there. Christ was there when time and creation came into being. He was already in existence when the heavens and the earth were created. It says, in the beginning was, statement of eternality, verb to be, always was continuously in the past. The verb a me in the Greek, 
So he could not have been created because time began with the creation of the physical universe. Therefore, anyone who existed before time and creation is eternal. He is a non-created being, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word. So beginning is a quality type of word, qualitative in the sense that it's not so much giving us a specific time, but it's more telling us where God was when things came into being. It's talking about what comes first. Creation and time came first for this universe. And there was Jesus. Always there. Contrast between verses 1 and 3 is very important. In verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word. Verse 1. Always in the past he was the Word. He was there. And this contrasts with the verb came into being in verse 3, which is a different verb in verse 3. All things came into being. That's ginamai. Ginamai means to emerge, to come into being, to transition from one point to another. So in verse 3, all things became. There was a starting point. So that verb referring to creation, having a starting point, is not the same as the verb was in verse 1. There was no starting point for the word. He is, he was, and will always be. So was in verse 1 speaks to continuity. Christ did not come into being. Any religion or cult that teaches that he was a created being is exactly that, a false religion. He was always there. He was around before creation. He always was. Statement number two. And the word was with God. And the word was with God. Again, was. Three times used in verse one. Do you notice that? In the beginning was, a me. And the word was, with God. Second, a me. A me is was. And the word was God. This statement speaks to the eternal fellowship. Fill in the blank line. The green statement, the eternal fellowship of the divine word. The eternal fellowship of the divine word. Christ was always with the Father. God would refer to God, most likely God the Father. Could be an allusion to this Holy Spirit. But the word is distinct from the first person of the Trinity. So underneath it, letter A, God would refer to the Father. Christ was with God the Father, making him distinct from God the Father, yet one God. Because the next statement says the word was God. So he's with God and he was God, showing the distinction and the unity of the Godhead. With is a very important word there in verse 1. Was with God. It's in your notes, letter B. With equals pros in the Greek. It equals with God but distinct from God. With him but distinct. With God but distinct from God. 
The New Testament contains more than 600 examples of that word pros. Little letter B there. It indicates the motion of direction towards a place. Close proximity. In some instances, the word pros refers to friendship or intimacy. In this context, it would refer to the intimate union of the Word and the Father. So under letter B, you can write this down. The word with speaks to a face-to-face -face relationship between the Son and the Father. This is not referring to Christ's humanity. That doesn't take place until verse 14. This is his divine essence as the eternal logos. There's a distinction in the, in the trinity as there is unity. Here when it says with God, it's showing the distinction. And this is not saying when he walked on the earth he was with God because this is all connected to the beginning in this verse. And the beginning is not when he became incarnated. The beginning, as I pointed out, like in Genesis 1, is referring to the beginning of all of time and creation, going way back to Genesis. So when it says the word was with God, it's not referring to Christ on earth walked with the Father. This is referring to in heaven, before creation. They were always together, intimately connected. So the distinction in the Godhead always existed. It did not come into being at his incarnation. There were always three distinct members of the Trinity while one God. So he always was the second person of the Trinity even before he gained human form on earth. This is the closest possible fellowship with the Father. And Christ took supreme delight in this communion with the Father which continued even when he gained his human body on earth. So this is the person we're studying the credentials on. The credentials of the one who had an intimate eternal fellowship or communion with the Father. Communion credentials. So again, credentials, communion credentials, communion with the Father, just as we have communion with him at the Lord's table, he had eternal communion with the Father. Letter C. How is Christ distinct from the Father and the Spirit? How is Christ distinct from the Father and the Spirit? Right down under letter C. Jesus Christ is not a mere extension of the Father. Jesus Christ is not a mere extension of the Father. He is a separate person in the Trinity. He is a separate person in the Trinity. Letter D. This distinctiveness is in regards to divine personality, not in regards to divine essence. I and the Father are one. Christ says later on in this gospel, I and the Father are one. Here it says the word was with God. Plurality. Later on Christ said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
So Christ and the Bible speaks to plurality, two, singularity, one. When he says, I and the Father are one, it's referring to his divine essence. They are one God. When it speaks to plurality, it's referring to personality, two distinct persons, one divine essence. So I don't fully understand that. Congratulations, nobody does. Nobody does. We just state the facts. You don't want to mess with the facts, right? You believe him by faith because the Bible says it. Statement number three. And the word was God. Backside of your note sheet. This speaks to divine oneness. So you have plurality, the word was with God, and now the oneness, and the word was God. Perfect theology in a perfect word. Divine oneness of the word in the Godhead. The Greek actually says, and God was the word. So the Bible actually, the Greek has it emphatic. Whereas in the New American Standard, it's in the word was God. But actually, literally, the Greek reads God first. God was the word much more powerful, always was, imperfect, active, indicative. This was always back into time, from past up to present. God was the Word, speaking to in the beginning. doesn't mean that he isn't now. It's just referring back to the beginning. So Jesus always was God. Letter A. John next makes the declaration that the eternal Logos is not just some person who has a relationship with the Father, but actually is divinity himself. John next makes the declaration here with the statement, God was the word or the word was God here. That's what I'm referring to. That the eternal Logos, Logos means word, is not just some person but has a relationship with the Father but actually, or has just a relationship with the Father but actually is divinity himself. This makes him one with the Father. So the word was God or God was the word is the pinnacle of this opening statement of John giving us our Savior's divine credentials. Let there be no mistake, he is God. Perhaps there is no better declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ in all the pages of Scripture than right here at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Now, two false or inaccurate translations abound with this phrase, the word was God. One is what I just mentioned, the literal Greek with emphasis says God was the word. It is the first word in the Greek. But it's only there for grammatical emphasis. So under this God was the word, just write it down. That's only for grammatical emphasis. Now let me get technical. You know what a subject, a verb, and a predicate is in a sentence, right? Subject commits the, does the verb, subject, verb, predicate, and subject and verb lead to the predicate, the rest of the sentence, right? We all here with me on it? You remember your basic grammar, subject, verb, and predicate. 
right? Another word for subject is nominative. It's the, it's the fancy grammatical term, nominative. Okay, the first thing, the supreme thing, the subject. Both God in verse 1, God and word are nominative case. They are a singular subject. You can reverse them. God equals word, word equals God. Christ is the word, the word is Christ. So God, even though the Greek says God was the word, God is not the singular subject, and the word is not the predicate. Otherwise, it would read like this. God was the one who became the word. You'd have God's subject, you'd have was as the verb, and you'd have the predicate, the word. God was the one who became the word. That's heresy. Both God and word are the subject. This is not a subject, verb, predicate sentence or phrase. This is just emphasis. It could really, this is what this means under number one then. God word was. God word was. That's all that needs to be said. Just like Jesus said later on in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. I am what? Statement of eternality. There is no predicate. I am. So this reads, God word was or word God was. He always was. To make God the sole subject means the Father is the word, and that's heresy. Because notice the beginning, the middle of the sentence. And the word was with God. See that? The word was with God. Who's God in that phrase? That's the Father. So now look at the end of verse 1. The Greek says, and God was the word. We could then assume God is referring there to the Father. Therefore, the word is referring to the Father. And it's not. Did I lose you? In the middle of the verse, the word was with God. That's the Father. Word is Christ. God is Father. The Greek says, and God was the word, which means God is referring still to the Father, but it can't because the word was with God and God word are the same nominative case. So all this is saying is, and this is why New American Standard made sure they translated it this way, word was God. Word was with God and the word was God. That is the correct way to translate this because God is only in a position of emphasis, not distinction. So the last third statement there in verse 1 is not referring to the Father. It's referring to the eternal logos, Jesus Christ. God word was. Christ is God. That's under number one. Christ is God. The text is not saying God the Father is the word. Because word would be in predicate form. I'm just giving you technicalities because we need them in this verse 1. 
It is the technicalities of the grammar that keeps us from heresy. You say, this is too technical, I don't like it. Well, you better like it because this is the defense of the deity of Jesus Christ. Because then we come up with the Jehovah's Witness translation of this last phrase, which is number two in your note sheet. Second false translation. And the word was a God. Now let me read to you again the Greek. Theos, God. Hain was ha-lagos. Ha-lagos. H-O-lagos. And ha Lagos, in other contexts, could be translated a God. So the New World Translation of the Bible, published by Jehovah's Witnesses, translates this phrase as he contained divinity in himself. And the word was a God, a sub-deity, contained deity, that's heresy. JWs keep word as the subject correctly, but make God an indefinite noun equaling a God, and that's wrong. We come back to grammar again of Greek. When the predicate nominative God precedes the verb was, it cannot be considered indefinite, merely because it does not have the article. In other words, as you see it translated is correct. Carl Laney, Moody Commentary, says it is argued by J.W.'s that the absence in the Greek text of the definite article the with theos, God, in our English translation, means that the logos, Jesus, is merely a God, a semi-deity. The deity of Christ and the doctrine of the Trinity are thus denied. That's incorrect. Expositor says, to say that the absence of the article speaks of the non-absolute deity of the word is sheer folly. There are many places in this gospel where the anarthrous theos, anarthrous means no article, theos appears. And not once is the implication that this is referring to just a God, namely verse 6. Look at verse 6. There was, came a man sent from God, no article A in the Greek. Let us translate it correctly as God, even in, in the JW translation. Verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Again, no letter A. Verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. Who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but not of a God, but God. So the translators of the New World Translation mess with this. They arbitrarily stick an article A in verse 1, and the word was a God, but then they drop it in verse 5, 12, and 13. Halagas, theos. No article with deity. Article is with the word lagos. No article with deity. Article is with the word lagos. Halagas. No ha theos. It does not make it a God. It is an indefinite use showing quality. So they do that in verses 6, 12, 13, and then look at verse 18, same thing. No one has seen God, not a God, 
They arbitrarily decided then that they're going to stick an, an A before God in verse 1, knowing very well that J.W. Colt did, that in verses 6, 12, 13, and 18, that it was an anarthrist, no article use of the word God referring to his quality of divinity. And so they drop it in the later verses, but they don't drop it in verse 1 because their theology dictates how they translate the Bible. And that's deadly. That is extremely deadly. We don't have a right to do that. Letter C in your note sheet. John the Apostle expressed Christ's deity correctly without the article the, the God, or a. The absence of the article expresses the character and quality of the divine logos. The absence of the article a expresses the character and quality of the divine logos. Greek scholar Kent says, by placing theos first in the clause, John gave it its emphatic position. And by employing the word God without the article, he stressed the qualitative sense of the noun the. This is all through the Greek language. This is a standard form. John did the exact same thing in John 4.24 in regard to the Holy Spirit. Numa. In John 4.24, there is no article. They do not insert it. He is fully God. So, at the end of verse 1, this speaks to the unity of nature rather than similarity or likeness. The eternal coexistence and unity of the word with God is unmistakably asserted here. They were forever together and forever one. The word was fully with the Father and the word was fully God. And this is so irrelevant to our day and age. One of the most notorious things about the Catholic, false Catholic religion is they proclaim the lordship and deity of Jesus Christ and then make him irrelevant. Totally irrelevant to their lives. God is irrelevant to me. That is the philosophy of Catholicism. He serves no function in my daily life. Imagine a religion that claims to uphold the lordship of Jesus Christ but considers him irrelevant. That's what evangelicalism has become today. Professed Bible believers who can't be bothered praying with him or to him. He's irrelevant in my daily affairs. I will make my own decisions. I may read the Bible and I may come to church and I may claim to be a born-again Christian. But at the end of the day, when my will and the Lord Jesus Christ's will are in contradiction, I will side with myself. How I feel determines for me how my truth is. How deadly that is. Evangelicalism has basically become Catholic. Shown by our prayerlessness and our ignorance of the Bible. We've rendered the eternal logos as being irrelevant. The basic rallying cry of modern Catholicism and evangelicalism is this. Jesus is God. So? What a theological aberration and deterioration. Jesus is God. So? As we'll learn again tonight in this doctrine of suffering as Christians, Christians have decided that I'm free to ignore the eternal logos and make my own decisions for myself. That's heresy. 
and it's blasphemy. So to recap, a false translation is, I'm going to place an A in front of God. The word, a God was the word, or the word was a God. And they place the A in front of theos, even though it isn't in the Greek. Because they assume that when you don't have ha-theos, it's referring to a sub-God. How twisted. How twisted. We can't trust translations or religions when they mess with God's word like that. The article is missing, and it is not to be translated back in, making God a God. We are to keep the article out. The word was God. And by doing so, we keep his quality of absolute divinity, and that makes him Lord over us, and that makes him totally relevant, and that means we can't ignore him. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, not just to save us, but he was sent to sanctify us. Thank you, Father, that at conversion, Jesus invaded our lives. He as Lord made us his slaves. And whether we feel like it or not, we are called to obey you. Because you are theos, halagas, God the Word. Infinite God, perfect human, died on the cross, raised from the dead by your divinity, and dwelling us in our minds through the Spirit. What you order us to do, we are called to do it. No debate. Regardless of feelings. Lord, truly conform our will to your divinity. We obey you not because it works. We obey you, Lord Jesus, because you are God over us. We honor and exalt you in your name, amen.